Welcome to Optimizing Human Potential with some of the top experts in the world of mind, body, and soul. In this show, we'll deal with everything from holistic health and fitness to spiritual growth and consciousness. Here are your hosts, Nicole Cruz and John Kempf. Hello, and welcome to Optimizing Human Potential, Mind, Body, and Soul, brought to you by the Holistic Therapies Directory. I'm Nicole Cruz, super busy mommy coach, helping busy parents to achieve high levels of fitness and health, despite being sleep-deprived and interrupted every 30 seconds. And I am John Kempf, functional strength and nutrition coach and yoga instructor, and I help to optimize human performance in the areas of fitness, nutrition, and mindset. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the reasons people aren't already living super healthy, fit, fulfilling lives. I mean, this is the age of the internet. You can find anything you want on Google. The information is there. And a lot of people know this information or have heard this information. So why isn't everyone a superhuman by now? And when we think about it, it falls into three main buckets. One, they just don't know that a solution exists for the problems that they're facing, right? So they just don't know what to do. And they don't know that there's something they could search to do. It's those unknown, unknown solutions. Number two, you're doing something, they're trying to do something and it's not working and they don't know why. So they're doing the wrong things and they're not really sure what's going on or they're trying a whole bunch of different things and they're having trouble finding what is actually needed for them. And number three, let's face it, a lot of us know that there are things we could be doing better. And for some crazy reason, we're not doing it, right? Humans are these imperfect beings and it helps to understand the reasons why sometimes we don't do what's best for ourselves. So we're going to really go on a rant about that one (laughs) towards the end of the episode. But uh, for now, let's just sort of jump into it. Yeah. The funny thing is, is especially for us, we see people from all three categories. And at one point in time, I've been guilty of all three of these too. And I, mm-hmm. even as a fitness professional, I've caught myself saying and doing things that say three, four, five years later, new research comes out and turns out that that wasn't the best solution. And so it's always evolving. But you know, especially with the unknown unknowns, there's you know so many people that just accept things the way they are and ignorance is bliss and there's nothing that they can do about it that's just the way it is and then there's the people that are truly trying to make change in their lives but they've been misinformed somewhere along the way or it's usually just a small tweak here and there that they haven't made that you know makes the biggest change i always use that example with my clients the smallest changes make the biggest differences and then number 3 i mean like you said we know kale is better than mcdonald's <laughs> but what are the reasons why we can't get ourselves to break these conditioned behaviors, these old feedback loops and realign our true goals and our our new values with our current thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Yeah. I mean, it can get so deep and so complicated to get into all of that. But so let's let's start with number one. I think 
by definition, when you're talking about, you know, people don't know a solution exists. Of course, I mean, we're always going to be finding out new things. And to some degree, it's hard to have control over that one. But there are some things that those of us who are in the, in the industry and really keeping up with it, we know that these solutions exist. Whereas, you know, people who aren't in the industry and keeping up with it to the extent that we do, might that information might not have gotten to them yet. And so... I mean, I can think of a couple off the top of my heads where these can just change people's lives if they take, you know, my brief mention of it and just start looking into it. A couple of the ones I can think of right now, food sensitivities. Uh, a lot of people don't know, like there's an allergy where it's really clear. You eat the food and then like your throat blows up and you have this severe reaction. Whereas sensitivities are, they can be more subtle and they can be cumulative. So if you have it once, you won't notice, but if you have it all the time, you do. And so looking into those, uh, Google elimination diet, (laughs) if you want to try this out for yourself and just follow their instructions or get the book, The Inside Tract, T-R-A-C-T, that really goes over it in detail. But finding out if you have food sensitivities can change your life because foods that your body you know doesn't respond to can have effects such as poor and uncomfortable digestion it can affect your skin it can affect your energy levels it can cause muscle twitches and obscure symptoms like that mental symptoms like brain fog emotional symptoms like pms a lot of people food sensitivities can contribute to horrible pms symptoms or depression anxiety so that's when i really suggest people look into another one i that's starting to surface more in the mainstream is that we're finding out more and more that cancer is related to your lifestyle. Not every single type of cancer. Some are still more mysterious at this point, whereas some of them, they're finding out we can almost completely prevent them with our lifestyle in general. Uh, So that's another area for anyone who is you know, prone to that because of their genes, learning about the ways your lifestyle can affect your susceptibility to cancer is huge. I mean, a healthy immune system seeks out and destroys cancer cells. And so if you're susceptible to that, I would certainly look into ways to, uh, you know, improve your lifestyle and strengthen your immune system. That's great. And that's, that's so perfect for the highlight that I want to make. And, you know, you can consider that the food and the exercise and the other variables like sleep and the sunlight and water intake, these are factors that control our health. And a lot of people have this vague understanding that, yeah, you know, we need to eat healthy food and drink water, but there's a lot of misunderstanding on the why it's not very clear and it's it falls into that number one they just don't know and so we can break this down into a subject known as epigenetics and this has gotten a lot of popularity over the recent decades Mm -hmm. and a great author and pioneer on the subject to look up his name is bruce lipton and a really good book that's a pretty short read as well. It's called The Biology of Belief. And he talks about this concept of epigenetics, but in a nutshell, epi means on top of or above, and genetics is your genes, you know, your traits that you're stuck with or born with, as they say. And that's been the kind of stigma through the previous research, you know, and when we were mapping the genome, 
the genes that you have dictate your health and your life forever. It's like a card, a, a hand of cards that you get dealt. It's just what you have. And now the current research is showing that it's a little bit more complex than that. There's actually a interaction going on here, nature and nurture. So the environment actually is what causes these genes or these traits to be expressed in certain ways. And so you can think of yourself as like a walking cell, essentially. You're a, you're a walking conglomeration of cells, a walking sack of water. And your skin is like your cell membrane, say the, the kind of like border. And we have external factors and internal factors that affect the expression of these genes. And when we look at the list, we actually can name what these factors are now, what they do to the body and how they cause us to express either optimal or poor health. So when we're looking on, I always use the example of a bell curve of health. If you draw a line right down the middle, you've got 50-50. We've got the average person that's not sick and not like optimally healthy like lebron james or you know your your standard naturopath or something we've got on the bottom side of the bell curve what you would think of is chronic disease or pathology and then on the other side of the bell curve is optimal health and most people think that you just are stuck somewhere on the graph but with the understanding of epigenetics we find that these factors actually cause a turning up or a turning down, like a dimmer switch of the expression of these traits. And it's constantly changing all the time. And I always use the example, if anybody's seen the old cartoon, it's not that old, but Osmosis Jones. It's a kind of a parody comedy on an inner city of cells working in your body. And you've got the police force and I believe it's Chris Rock, I want to say, is like the undercover cop. And <laughs> there's like a bad bacteria that comes in and he's the antagonist and they like fight and stuff. But it, it was such a good analogy to me because we have these external factors and these internal factors that cause the expression of our health or lack of health. And the, the external factors, to list a few of them, are exercise, sleep, water, the sunlight and the nature exposure that you get, the exposure to stress from the environment. Those are all external factors that are outside of the organism. And then our internal factors are inside the organism. We're talking about some of the physiological systems in play here. We've got our immune system, which you could think of as like your homeland security. They're they're the border patrol. They go around and make sure that no bad guys are getting in. They go and attack the cancerous cells, the mutated cells, the old cells, the pathogens or bacteria that come in that could cause problems. They go clean that up and take care of that. And, and then you've got the lymphatic system, which is kind of like your, your um, garbage system. They go in and clean the streets and help to circulate out old waste products and deliver the nutrients into the cells. And then you have the endocrine system or the hormonal system. And all of these internal systems are what help to regulate the expression of these traits. Another one that's huge that I always talk about is inflammation. The mm. level of chronic inflammation in the body over a long period of time is critical in the upkeep or breakdown of all these other systems. Another big one is the microbiome, the diversity 
of the different bacteria that are good for you that exist within our body. And we are outnumbered 10 to 1. We have about, I believe, 1 trillion cells in our body. And there's about 10 trillion bacterial cells in our body. So we have to make sure that we're creating a good, healthy, diverse population of bacteria that can host and maintain a lot of these processes as well. So you can think about it as these external factors drive these internal factors, the functionings of these internal factors. And if the internal factors are working well, the traits are expressed to show health. And if these systems aren't working well, then there's a breakdown in health and the opposite of health is disease, dis-ease in the system. And it's just like an inner workings of a city, right? I mean, if the Homeland Security, if the Border Patrol isn't doing their job, bad guys are getting in. If the streets don't get cleaned, everything backs up and gets really dirty and then a buildup of pollution and toxicity occurs. If the hormones aren't driving the the signals and telling the other cells what to do, the hormones are kind of like the managers that go around and tell the rest of the cells, hey, you know, I need you to do this to regulate the metabolism. You know, that's another one of the big systems is the metabolic system. And so we have to have good regulation of these external factors that then help to express good characteristics of our internal factors that then drive health, that maintain this optimal functioning integrated society within ourselves. So there's so much data now to support all of these individual factors and how they affect your health specifically. And as opposed to just writing it off that it's just genetics and that's the way it is, you can actually affect your genetics by controlling, regulating, modulating these external and internal factors. Yeah. And I mean, that's gold because so many people, you know, have fear or think that they have this destiny based on their family history. And it's just so empowering to know that there's something you can do about it. And even if science hasn't told us what to do about it yet, that this research is going on and that a solution might emerge really soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thinking about some other factors where a lot of my clients don't even know there's something that can help them. I mean, the biggest one for me, because I work with busy parents, is that they don't realize that there are types of exercise that work really well in short bursts with rest in between. So if you're interrupted by kids all the time, you can do these intense workouts in bursts of 30 seconds, 60 seconds, and then kind of go about your day and come back to them throughout the day. And I mean, that can change a life if you're somebody who just doesn't have time or doesn't have someone to watch your kids, while your young kids while you go to the gym. Adaptogenics is another one that a lot of people, I mean, like modern society is really stressful for humans. We're not built to function this way. And, you know, there are herbs and roots that you can get in supplement form from Amazon for like 10 or 15 bucks in some cases that can literally change the way your body responds to stress mentally, emotionally, physically. You will feel the results instantly after just one dose. It's amazing. And so that's something I really suggest people look into as well if they're really overwhelmed and burnt out. Mm. Are there any others that come to your mind where your clients just don't even know there's something they could be doing to help themselves? Yeah. A good analogy that I, or a, a mantra expression that I always use is work smarter 
and then work harder. And there's so many little things that can cause such a huge difference in the expression of these traits. And a big one that people miss often is sun exposure. And if you're not getting adequate sun exposure, say you live a certain distance away from the equator, and you are not going to be able to absorb the vitamin D necessary to create serotonin, which is the happiness hormone, which helps with decision making and with uh, calmness, clarity and happiness. And and serotonin actually is converted to melatonin while you're sleeping at night. And melatonin drives a lot of other physiological processes in the body that help with repair while you're in your deep sleep mode. And that's another huge one too, is really we are creatures of the circadian rhythm. We function with and without the sun. We have two different sets of processes that occur with either the the presence of or absence of the sun. And so making sure that we are following that biological rhythm is so critical. The, The sleep time is so important and so many people write it off as, you know, especially depending on where you live, there's a almost a culture around working hard and staying busy. And if you sleep eight hours a night, you're lazy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's so much evidence now to support how important sleep is and how it actually will improve clarity, improve Mm -hmm. productivity, improve mood, improve metabolism and cellular repair and, and boost your immune system. When you're sleeping, you're repairing the body, recovering. And so the sunlight and the sleep, those are two big ones. Another big one too that is dear to my heart is the uh, distribution of nutrients dependent on you know the, the baseline lifestyle of the organism. For example, diabetes type 2 is an environmentally caused disease and it's reversible and science has shown this. It's validated it empirically and I've actually had it happen with my own clients where it's just a dysregulation of those external and internal factors. And if we can make some adjustments to their diet, to their sleep, to their exercise, the three main legs of the stool, then we can create an entirely different internal system, an internal city, an internal set of functionings that then can help to optimize the expression of your health. So there is a ton of information out there now. Science is really validating this idea of epigenetics and these external and internal factors. And so it's really important to not only stay up on this information, but take back your your own sovereign right to modulate these factors yourself in order to optimize your health and your performance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like you said, the three legs of the stool, they all work together. And if any of those is missing, then you're going to, it's going to fall over. I think that's the perfect segue into getting into the second reason, because, you know, a lot of people have heard things like, oh, well, yeah, I know sleep is important, or I've heard that the sun is important. You know, I've heard that, you know, lifestyle is important, but they've also heard a million other things about what they should be doing. And I think, that's where the misinformation comes in, right? Like people are 
There's a thousand things you could choose to do. And we could start naming them and anyone can name all of them, but they don't fit into one day. Mm-hmm. And people have to pick and choose which ones to do. And a lot of people are choosing things that don't work. Either they are fabrics of someone's imagination, they're complete misinformation, or maybe they just don't work for that individual based on their circumstances or their individual body. Mm-hmm. And so can you kind of touch on that a bit? Yeah. One thing that just drives me bonkers, I'm sure you know exactly <laughs> how I feel about this and you do as well, is you have to remember guys that the people out there selling you these systems and these products, most of them are just recycling old information and trying to present it in a new way with a new dress on it to make it seem like the next thing. And it's because their emphasis is profit, not health. And especially when we look at larger industries, they don't care about individual health. And in fact, it would be counterintuitive to their model to tell everybody, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to go home, sit outside quietly and be relaxed while you get some sunlight and then go eat some vegetables, drink some water and go for a walk. And you won't ever have to come back and see me or buy my stuff ever again. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't make any money. So, I mean, it's, it's all marketing at the end of the day for these supplements and some of them are awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. But there's so many other ones that are completely worthless. But if you throw a bodybuilder on there, that's jacked holding this little bottle that says, I took this and I start to look like this you know, automatically people are going to start to associate that supplement with getting jacked or whatever it is, you know, optimizing their health or energy levels. You know, there's so many different claims that are made and, you know, like, like we're tying into here, it's so important to do the two things you need to do to make sure that it works. Research and apply. You have to find out formally Where is this information coming from? Is it validated with any kind of actual empirical evidence through clinical trials, through even case studies? They might not be the best example, but if you've got a doctor curing cancer for 20 years and he's doing a specific type of method in a controlled environment over and over and over, hmm, you know, you might want to look into that. (laughs) And, you know, on the opposite end of it too, like what you had touched on, bioindividuality is such a big part of it too, is what works for one might not work for another. One person's medicine is another person's poison. And so say somebody's trying a new diet that worked really well for their neighbor, all of a sudden they're noticing lethargy and you know lack of focus and whatever it may be. They might not be telling you something else. There might be another factor. There might be a difference in your um, you know environmental lifestyle or your genetics that cause a different reaction. Like you were saying, food sensitivities, you know? Mm -hmm. So it really depends on research and application. And you have to go find a good starting point in some kind of literature or some kind of formal source resource, which can be tough. You're going to have to weed through a lot of the, the BS that's out there nowadays. But then you have to try it on yourself and find out like, is this actually worth it for me? And that takes reflection, observation, consistency, repetition, you know, all of these variables come back to that kind of scientific method model is, are we actually seeing consistent change? And are we controlling the environment to make sure that we're actually regulating the factors that we want to see change in? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you just touched on something that I could rant about for days, but I won't. I'll just touch on it briefly. (laughs) Um, 
I feel so strongly about science and the scientific method and how it's used and how it's presented to the public because you can have people with similarly impressive credentials just saying opposite things and then pointing back to science. And I've had people tell me, well, science is a bunch of BS. Like science doesn't work. You can't listen to that. And I'm, and that just is so unfortunate because science is a logical procedure. Science is not flawed. The humans drawing conclusions from science are, are flawed, you know, and we're drawing flawed conclusions. So, I mean, I could go on about this for days, but I'll just touch on one brief thing that people can, you know, possibly take with them to start having a better sense of what's real and what's not right off the bat. And that's the idea that when you're talking about humans, there are so many variables in play that it can be really difficult to know exactly what's causing the result you're looking at. And so a lot of times people will look at what we know from science and then assume that if you do a certain thing, it will cause a result. And humans are too complicated where you can't assume that's the case. So when you hear about something and people are saying that, oh, if you do this, it will cause a result because this chemical has been shown to blah, 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 blah. Like forget all of that. Ask the question, has anyone tested that intervention on humans and seen that result? That's all you need to care about, Mm -hmm. right? Have you tested on humans and seen that result. You should test it on two groups, right? One group should get the intervention that you think will cause the result, and the other group should not get that intervention. And we can go on forever about how to do that correctly so that they're as similar as possible, but forget that for these purposes. Has somebody taken two groups of people, given one the intervention, not given the intervention to the other group, and shown that the one who got the intervention showed better results? That's it. And then from there, you get to bioindividuality because not 100% of that group will show the same results. But I mean, for a starting point, ask that question. When you're doing that Google search and a million things are popping up and a million experts are saying different things, ask that question and see if you can find an answer. And that'll be the best starting point for you to go with your research. Yeah. I mean, it's it can get so complicated for people. <laughs> yes. That's all you have to do is did it work or not for other humans? And mm-hmm. was it a sample size larger than two or three people, you know? Because mm-hmm. I mean, you and your neighbor could do something, but then, you know, you apply it to the entire city and it could be a different result. So, you know, find the information that's been tested already, you know, have that baseline, guys. I don't know, Nicole, if you've ever heard of the chocolate study. Uh, this was, <laughs> I want to say like, Oh, I can't remember the date. Uh, this was a few years back, though. But these uh, researchers—it was—it was all set up on purpose. They took these different parameters, and basically, uh, the kind of like the reason I'm bringing this up is because you can take one scientific article and argue on both sides of the fence on one point, just off of one article, if you cherry pick data. And that's mm-hmm. often what you find when you look mm-hmm. at these like quick little Facebook reviews and, and Google articles where it shows like a headline. And that's what they did with this study is the chocolate study is they basically gave chocolate to a bunch of people and then measured a ton of different variables. They measured heart rate, uh, blood pressure, I think they gave them like a a cognitive test as well, but they measured all these variables, these objective variables, legitimate variables. But then when they went to do the observational results, they picked the specific variables that they wanted to make 
the studies seem validated and to, to have it show P greater than 0.05 significance. Mm -hmm. And the, it, they like did it on purpose and they broke the study down and like explained, Hey, like this is a farce. We did this just as a joke. And it was like a sample size of like a really low sample size. So there wasn't a large enough data pool to actually see if it was just differences in the people in the group, or if it was like actually a trend, which is what you're mm -hmm. looking for in research is to see the trend, see the mean, see the average out of a group of people. And um, they took just like a couple choice variables that actually did show significance, even though overall the whole study, like it showed that there was like no significance. It didn't really do anything at all, but they picked the variables that did show like little changes and then added them together to create significance. And when they ran it, it got picked up by, I want to say 28 main publishings from countries all around the world. And it was chocolate's good for you. And it was oh. just like a big laugh. <laughs> like it, was, it just goes to show that there's ways that you can manipulate research. There's ways that you can cherry pick data. And if you don't have a legitimate source, if you're not comparing the control group versus the intervention group, if you're not actually researching this information credibly, then you're never really going to know. And mm -hmm. that's when people like us, the nerds that like to, to look into this stuff, that's what we do. We go through mm -hmm. and look at this data and find out what actually is relevant. And then from there, we apply it. And that should be what everybody does is take what you find as a baseline and then apply it to yourself. Because what worked for a trend of people in a lab might not work for you on a nine to five when you get home and you've got a kid mm -hmm. and you've got to try to do this and that. You have to try to find what starting point there is, but then navigate your own path based on the information that you have. And that's N equals one at the end of the day. Like you have to apply it on yourself and find out what works for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, let's link to the chocolate study in this, you know, wherever we post this podcast. And yeah. I'm also going to throw in a link to a kale article that um, kind of had the same thing, like, you know, killer kale and, you know, also explained um, how like, you know, certain ways that people interpret and present research in flawed ways. So those of you who are interested in learning more about that, definitely check out those links. Definitely want to make sure we have time to jump into number three. So let's do that because this is, I think, where the gold is, right? So those of you listening, I want you to think about this right now. What are some things you could be doing to eat better, to be fitter, and to be healthier and less stressed? Like, how long did it take you to come up with some ideas there? It's like, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> exactly. Like, you can probably already list 10 things. Like, you don't need to go to the personal trainer or the nutritionist or the doctor to start seeing increases in your health. Don't get me wrong. Like, those are, you should go to those experts, but why aren't you doing the things you already know? Like, why don't we do these things? And I think we could talk about this for days, but please, John, jump into that topic because I love when you rant on it. <laughs> my goodness, my goodness. Well, if you look at it, this is what really got me interested in neuroscience because I believe I mentioned it in one of the previous podcasts where I started doing my own application to myself and realizing, hey, my behaviors were not conducive with my values or my priorities or my goals. And I started to dissect that. Well, why? 
And I was putting myself in situations that were not beneficial or not aligned with these priorities, values, and goals. And one of my favorite quotes is, show me your five best friends and I'll show you what your future looks like. Or another really good one is, you are the company you keep, I want to say. I'm messing that up one up. But basically, the environment that you surround yourself in is what dictates your thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and what causes the traits to be expressed in a way that is conducive to that environment. It sounds kind of like epigenetics, right? And so we've got <laughs> it all ties the, together, John. All yeah, of this ties together. Yeah, so we've got the physical factors for sure, but then we have to start to dissect the mind. And this is what fascinated me about neuroscience because I started having these epiphanies and these reflections myself. And a class that I took my final year of kinesiology was motor learning acquisition, which was basically how do we learn? How does the brain work in association with the environment? And how can we modulate that process? And it was so interesting because essentially we have two systems. We have a top-down feedback system where we're sending thoughts and commands from our brain to our body. And then we have a bottoms-up system, feedback system, your sensory motor system, which is driven by your five senses. So this goes back to the, the story that I've told, the five horses or the five senses. And either the five horses can drive the carriage, which would be your body being a slave to the environment, or the mind can grab hold of the reins and tell the horses what to do, tell the senses what to do. And that's when the mind becomes a master of the body. And so the biggest thing that you have to consider is these two systems work together. And if you're not sending the same signals from the top down and from the bottom up, there's going to be a miscommunication there. Just like any communication with any system, going back to that Osmosis Jones analogy, it's just like you sending commands to your staff on the inside, your employees. And if you're telling them to do a good job at work and, and be productive, but you're putting them, say, in a really loud, stressful environment, then they're not going to be able to focus and do their job and follow through with the processes that need to get done. And not all the work is going to get done for the day. And Things are going to fall through the cracks and eventually over time, you're going to fall behind. These systems are going to stop functioning the way they are. And then all of a sudden, there's this expression of some sort of disease. And it's not pain sight, it's pain source. Just because 10 years down the road, you have the expression of these symptoms on the outside doesn't mean that there wasn't dysfunction on the inside previous. And so we have to think about where's the source of this coming from. And a lot of that is the communication between these external and internal factors. And if you're not regulating these external factors, if you're in a stressful environment, if you're around other people that are not telling you to be the best person you can be, and they're not supporting your values and your goals, and you can try all you want all day long, but it's going to be like running into a wall mm -hmm. because your five horses are like, dude, that's not what you're telling us <laughs> all day long. And the sensory motor stimulus is 24-7. We have the conscious ability to send the top-down signals. Like breath is a great example, right? How many of you just stopped and thought about your breathing? 
wow, I can control my breath consciously, but we don't have to. The sensory motor stimulus or sensory motor system will naturally automatically breathe all day long, but we can consciously override that system if we wish at any point in time. But that sensory motor system is always going. And so if you're not putting yourself in an environment that is promoting positive external factors, if you're not getting the sunlight, if you're not getting the sleep, if you're not getting the positive emotional and psychological support from your environment, then you're not going to be able to match all these values up. And then you're going to continue to fall back into your repetitive behavior that has been previously conditioned, which is often being driven by those five senses. And so you have a stressful day and then you go home and you binge on food. It's because that environmental stimulus overrides your conscious top-down stimulus because that one has been laid into the system much stronger for a longer period of time because it's always going. So you have to find out what you actually want what the values and the goals and priorities you have. And then you have to put your organism in an environment that is conducive to those values and priorities if you want to see long-term success. Yes. (laughs) Preach it. Um, I mean, it's just so important to set yourself up for success. And I think one of our pitfalls as humans is we often expect ourselves to act rationally. Mm. But we're not good at acting rationally. We are emotional, imperfect beings. And so if you think, well, I'm just going to you know, start my whole new lifestyle plan tomorrow. So you know what? That actually doesn't work for most people. And so you know, knowing these, I, I call them psych hacks, but knowing these tricks to kind of get around that and knowing how your brain works in irrational ways can help you to set yourself up for success so that when the time comes, you actually follow through with the positive behaviors that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is, um, you don't play up to your expectations. You fall back on your training and that's yeah. those conditioned behaviors over time. And either they're good habits that you mm-hmm. fall back on because you've conditioned them more and they're inroaded. Mm-hmm. It's literally a concept. Think like a wagon wheel driving on a dirt road. The more you use that same path over and over, the deeper that rut gets. Mm -hmm. And it's harder to break that habit, that feedback loop, because you've laid that neuronal network in your brain. It's called Hebb's Law. What gets fired together (laughs) gets wired together. These neuronal systems will continually lay down stronger, thicker, and more efficient, faster signals and systems in roads, ruts in the road, by the more you repeat these behaviors. And so it's harder to break those habits, like the, the old uh, analogy, it's, it's uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. To a point that actually has merit because there's these really thick, laid down, strong signals, strong inroaded neuronal networks in the brain because that habit has been repeated over and over and over. And that's classical conditioning, stimulus, response, stimulus, response, tell a lie a thousand times and eventually it becomes the truth. And Mm -hmm. so you have to ask yourself, are you really living up to your potential if you're not surrounding yourself with the people that bring the best out of you? You know, they say, if you're the smartest person in the room, if you're the strongest person in the room, you need to find a new network because they're going to challenge you to grow and expand and build new neuronal networks, new pathways, new habits 
that you then will fall back on, which break those old feedback loops and create new ones. Yes. And habit formation is underestimated. It's just, there are ways to do it right. And then there's like the common sense way that just doesn't really work. And so just getting into that, I like to you know teach the people I'm serving, like when you're trying to form a habit, going back to what you said about the ruts in the road and things you do every day, how much distress are you going to be in if you have to go out of your house without brushing your teeth? You're going to be thinking about it all day because for as long as you can remember, you've been brushing your teeth every day before you leave the house. And so when you're starting to form a new habit, people think it's just like discipline. You know, I'm not being disciplined. I'm being lazy. And it's like, that's not true because you're showing discipline and a really strong work ethic in other areas of your life. So why isn't it showing up here? And it's about how do we successfully integrate a new habit into our life. And there are a couple things that people can do. Number one, bite-sized pieces. Like you have to integrate it one baby step at a time. And yes, it'll take longer, but you're in this for the long haul. It's your life, right? Like if you just want to like look good for your wedding in a month, by all means do the shortcuts. But if you're in it for life, one baby step at a time. And each of those steps should be small enough that it doesn't seem painful or annoying. It has to be something where you're like, okay, yeah, I'll totally do that. And then as it becomes habit, you start adding in more, adding in more, adding in more. And like, this is literally the key to the text coaching I do with my clients. It was like seeing them for a session and telling them five things to do didn't work. It's like, here's this video, do it. Send me, you know, send me a video of you doing it. Here it is again, do it again. And just those like one bite-sized piece at a time. And all of a sudden people are a million times more successful. Mm -hmm. The other thing about habit formation, and before I drone on and on forever (laughs) about this topic is there are steps to it. So at first it takes a lot of conscious effort and you need to expect these steps. You need to expect to go through this or you're going to give up in the middle and think it's not working. So at first it takes a lot of effort and you're excited about it and you're diligently doing it. Then it still takes effort, but it's not new anymore and it's not as exciting. And this is where it might start to get annoying or you start to get a little bit discouraged or other things in your life start to get in the way. Expect that to happen. The next thing that's going to happen is you're not going to be totally consistent with it. You're going to fall off the wagon when you're starting to integrate a new habit. Mm -hmm. This is part of the process. Expect it. It's normal. And have a plan on how you're going to get back on the wagon. Mm -hmm. Come up with this plan before you actually fall off the wagon. Know it's going to happen. Set yourself up for success, right? Irrational, imperfect beings and be ready for it, right? Oh, I've fallen off the wagon. I know exactly what I'm going to do now to get back into it. That's going to happen for a while. And then all of a sudden, it'll get to the point where you're mostly consistent. And then it'll get to the point where it's like brushing your teeth, where if you don't do it, it really bothers you. Mm -hmm. That's so perfect, Nicole, (laughs) because I have such a great story to go along with this because I always like to use the example of like, we're humans too, guys. We fall off. Yes. (laughs) And this is a great story. It was in college and um, embarrassing moment for myself. Um, A buddy of mine brought over a bunch of brownies and peanut butter and it was a Memorial Day weekend. So three days off and we just went to town. I ate a whole (laughs) tray of brownies and a two pound jar of like jiffy peanut butter. Oh, I was, I was like really lean at the time. And I, you know, two days later I stepped on the scale and I had gained like 
10 pounds, 12 pounds, like something obnoxious. And I was just like freaking out, you know, like it was like, I wasn't at this point prepping for a show, but I mean, it was in the back of my mind, you know, like, oh my God. And like, it just like emotionally wrecked me. Like legitimately, I was like depressed because of it. And depression is something that I've dealt with for a long time. Not just like, uh, I had a rough day, like legitimately physiologically, if I don't keep up on my external factors, my internal factors express depression. And so I have to be smart and regulate those factors. And through personal application, I have figured out that it is not only significant, but necessary for me to control these factors. When I don't do it, I'm a wreck. I am so apathetic and unproductive. And when I get my sunlight, when I go outside, when I exercise, I'm like Superman. Like everybody thinks I'm like this super energetic, extroverted, busy, productive guy all the time. And I am when I stay up on my external factors. But going back to this story, I fell into a hole just like everybody else. Everybody suffers from bad days and depression and anxiety. It's just a spectrum mm-hmm. thing. And one of my best friends, I, I, we were at work. He was another trainer at the time. And uh, I told him the story. I'm like, dude, I like gained 12 pounds. And I'm like, so upset about myself. And like, God, it's going to take so long. I like, did so much hard work. And he goes, dude, progress isn't linear. And I was yes. like, oh my God, you're so right. Like we, expect, Mind blown. especially, you know, like having that high expectation ourselves, I have ridiculous expectations. Some people, uh, Anthony calls me obsessive compulsive. I'm not going to disagree. And mm-hmm. as you can see the notes and shit in my, my <laughs> but you know, you expect like I was here yesterday, so I better be here tomorrow. And I was just like, And he was like, yeah, dude, it's not a straight line. It's like this over the time period of, you know, X amount of days, weeks, months, and years, you should see a trend that increases. There should be a line that you could draw down the middle. And there is progress there. If you're following, you know, your values and priorities and matching these top down, bottom up stimulus, but it's not going to be like that the whole time. There's going to be ups and downs. And it was just like one of those things that, you know, but then somebody says, and just like put his hand on my shoulder and was like, dude, progress isn't linear. I was just like, oh, it just like shifted me totally. I was like, you're so right, man. And then like five days later, all the way it was gone. It was water weight anyway, you know, like you can't gain 12 pounds of fat tissue in a couple of days. It's literally impossible. So it was just like one of those moments where I was like, oh my God, progress isn't linear, guys. Like everybody's going to have ups and downs and it's sticking to the course, playing the long game, taking one little step at a day. Like I got a sticky note. One of these sticky notes says today I will try again. Cause there's days where I wake up and I'm just pissed, you know, and I go to work out just to, to, to not feel like crap the rest of the day. It's not even cause I want to do it. I do enjoy working out most of the time, but there's days where I don't. And mm-hmm. I know through that application process, through observation, through reflection, through journaling, through looking back and reading my journal, like I didn't work out for a week. And I was like really depressed that whole week. And then like the next week I worked out the whole time and was outside in the sun. And I'm like, I got so much more done, you know? And it's like over a period of time, you catch these trends and you realize like, oh, okay. You know, that's where you make those little adjustments over a period of time is by slowly observing and reflecting and repeating over and over and over and just going one day at a time, one step at a time. So I loved that, Nicola. It was great. 
Yeah. I mean, like your example was just gold because I mean, I think a lot of times we don't anticipate the obstacles we face. And I think when people do anticipate obstacles, they're more likely to anticipate logistical obstacles than the obstacles in our own brains Mm -hmm. and just getting better at like one of the biggest obstacles I see is people valuing their responsibilities to other people more than valuing their responsibilities to themselves. And they might not even notice that they're doing it until someone else points it out. But knowing that these are the obstacles, like just like look it up, listen to people who talk about this, like here are the types of internal obstacles that we face that you might be so accustomed to that it's like the air we breathe. You don't even notice it's there and just know that they're there and get used to anticipating them and before you're in that bad space where it's hitting you, come up with a plan of what you're going to do. Condition, like you talked about conditioning, right? And like, that's how it starts. Like come in a positive place, come up with a plan. And then when you're there, you won't have to figure out what to do. You know what you have to do. Are you worried? Like, are you, do you feel like you have to live up to a certain way your life is supposed to be based on the way society is, or based on what your family says more than the dreams that you have in mind? Like, you know, these internal obstacles can rule our lives if we're not expecting them, if we're not aware of them, and if we're not prepared to deal with them when they show up. And like you said, even like, I don't care how good you are. You can be, you know, Tony Robbins. These are going to happen for you. Like these are, Mm -hmm. these are going to come up sometimes and get in your way. And it's a matter of being ready for them. Mm -hmm. Totally. And, And like you said too, have practices to fall back on. Like I've got a list guys. I have a morning routine that I do most of the time and not every day because life gets in the way too. Don't be over stressful on yourself about that. But I have a list of affirmations that I say, most of them aren't even true yet. As far as they haven't come to fruition, they're things that I want and desire, but they're not actually in my life yet. They're just things that I their goals that I have for the future, but I say them in the present tense. I am living here on the beach with a big beach house and I'm working doing this and I'm serving people in this way and I've got this and that and all the things that you want, like continue to condition yourself. Tell that lie over and over and over and eventually it will become the truth because you're just laying down that road. You're laying down that map, Hebb's Law. You're creating that neuronal network and that eventually, your brain is a supercomputer. It will get you there. It will make things happen for you. It will align you with the opportunities for you to create the reality you desire, but you have to live it every day. You have to constantly keep reminding it about these things. Fall back on your meditation. Fall back on your yoga, your exercise, mm-hmm. your journaling. Go back and read that stuff. Like It's so cool to go back and read my journalings from like 2013, 2014 when I was in college and I started to wake up and realize and become aware of these things. This like, wow, the environment really does dictate a lot of my behavior. And if I can kind of set up my environment ahead of time to where then when I do fall off the wagon, there's these little cues, these little reminders, like they say, use visual association, use emotional association, you know, put your tennis shoes next to your bed. So when you wake up in the morning, like, I got to go for that jog. That's right. Lay your yoga mat out on the floor before you go to sleep read through your journal for the day and reflect on like, oh yeah, I was in a bad mood this morning and I feel great now. Make a little note like, 
hey, I did this today and I'm in a better mood now or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. There's a million different practices that you can implement into your life. Some are going to be more effective for others. But the idea is to start writing this stuff down and start repeating it over and over. And you are your own scientific experiment, right? You're the scientist and the test subject. You get to manipulate these variables in your life and then observe and reflect and conclude on the changes that occurred. And then you can just repeat the study, repeat the study, wake up the next day, try something new, try something new, continue to do what works. And it goes back to that great quote by Bruce Lee, absorb what is useful, keep applying those practices, fall back on the things that you know, make you feel good, discard what is not, which is getting rid of those things from your environment that could cause maybe these old feedback loops to get re-sparked or that are drawing on your energy in a negative way and not allowing you to express yourself fully. And then add what is uniquely your own, write this stuff down, reflect on it, find out how can you can personalize it to your own individual life, which will change throughout your life as well. The practices mm-hmm. that you did in your teens and 20s will maybe not be applicable in your 30s and 40s, but some of them you might have for life and you know you can refer back to those practices. So just always remember that it's this top-down system of conscious application of your thoughts and feelings and your behaviors, and you have to set yourself up in an environment that is supportive and conducive to your values and your goals. And if that means detaching from your, from your previous surroundings, friendships, environments, your job, do it. You can't all do it at once. So like Nicole said, it's one bite at a time. Just slowly make these changes. You've got the time you've got the ability. It's just making sure that you're doing it in a good, appropriate way for you. Yeah. I mean, like that's all gold, like all those practices, the trying things out and then reflecting on it and journaling so that you can start making connections and trends over time. And I mean, this is so important (laughs) and it's also so much. And I can, I mean, We've just unloaded a lot onto people. And so I just want to emphasize, this was an intro episode to the theme of the podcast. So the theme of this podcast will be why aren't people already doing these things? Why aren't people already living these super healthy, fit, energetic, fulfilled lives? And so it could be that you don't know what to do in that meaning you don't even know that there's a solution out there for the problem you're facing. It could be that what you're doing isn't working due to misinformation or other obstacles out there, or it could be these mental factors that you know what to do. And for some reason, you know, we imperfect humans just aren't doing it. And so we're going to keep coming back to this over and over. Every time we interview a guest, we're going to relate it back to what you can be doing in your life. And then we're going to dig into why hasn't, why haven't people already been doing this? Why haven't people integrated? Is it that people don't know about it? Is it that they don't know how important it is due to misinformation? Maybe they're doing something else that's not as effective, or is it that there is some sort of internal obstacle to it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's beautiful. We have so many different practices that we've personally <laughs> applied with ourselves and with our clients and every practitioner that we interview is going to have those same case studies, those same personal experiences to relate upon. And if we can give you one practice and give you the why behind it and, and validate it with a little bit of information as to how it affects the organism, how to apply it in your daily life, then that's really the whole goal here is we're just trying to share practices and information with you guys 
that you can take and absorb and integrate into your daily life to optimize your human potential. Mind, body, and soul. (laughs) All right. So let's leave it there. And we will be back very, very soon to continue these conversations. Thank you for listening to Optimizing Human Potential, Mind, Body, and Soul. I'm Nicole Cruz, Super Busy Mommy Coach. And I am John Kemp, Functional Strength Nutrition Coach and Yogi. We will catch you guys on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Do not forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel and the podcast and go follow holistictherapiesdirectory.com for all these interviews for a beautiful platform and a community worldwide of people looking to serve and contribute and empower humanity. Anything you got for us, Nicole? Don't forget to check out the links if you want to explore the topics we've covered today even further. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, guys, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Optimizing Human Potential show. Don't forget to rate and review. For more information, you can visit www.holistictherapiesdirectory.com. And from their website, you can check out their social pages. We'll see you in the next episode.